time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Christy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is episode number 69 of our podcast, where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens, more chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day and we kiss them too. Don't forget. We brew coffee from a little coffee house here in Bel Air, Maryland. Holly Ann, what kind of coffee are we brewing today? It's double chocolate. And wow, is it good. It's delish. Are you ready to sip some coffee and chat? Of course. Let's do it. So, lady, how are you doing? Doing great. You know, we started this podcast back in 2020. And I, as you know, have dabbled here and there in pottery and ceramic art. Right. And I have not touched clay since we started this podcast. It's just been taking over everything. Well, I just ordered myself 25 pounds of stoneware because I have a hankering to play with clay. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm kind of excited about that. Make us a mug. Maybe we can sell a few out there. I don't know that I'm that good. (laughs) I'll tell you what I'm making. I'm making vases. I actually have a fascination with a vase as an art form. I remember before we did the podcast that you were doing vases. Yeah. And then somehow you like pocket posted a picture of one. Oh, I did. <laughs> you were like, I, I didn't have that. Po- I don't even know how that got on there. Yeah, it's true. It, 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 Facebook. Yeah. It was either Facebook or Instagram. It was Facebook. I pocket posted a photo of a vase. Well, yeah. It went up like 6.30 in the morning. I don't know how to manage that. Anyway, so I have clay and our chicks are going to be here anytime. And I am kind of on cloud nine right now. The thing is, you're still going to be just busy though. Well, that's okay. You have to mix it in. Yeah. The podcast has definitely taken on a life of its own and that's what we wanted. This is our passion. We have been so happy doing all this work. It is a lot of work and it is so worth it. It's the best. Absolutely. Well, at this point, I have systems in place. I can get back to a lot more of my artwork. Yeah. Don't worry. The research is not going to change in quality. (laughs) That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a work of passion, this podcast. Absolutely. It is. And speaking of passion, we have chickens coming. The chicks are going to be here soon in a few weeks. And then we're going to have babies to take care of. And then my fun starts with picture taking. Yes. Videos. I can't wait to document every little oh, Pete thing will be they down do. there with his really good camera taking baby shots. Yeah. I, I got to get my big camera out more. I tend to use my cell phone because I have it right there. What's the saying? The best camera for the job is the one you have. Which yeah. You, yeah. My cell phone doesn't even take photos anymore because one of the roosters pecked the lens and I actually <laughs> I have a broken being, lens. Being in Williamsburg in December and we're trying to take pictures of everything. And I'm watching you take pictures, and I'm like, the lighting on your pictures was off every time. And I'm like, I just took a picture in the same spot. Yeah. The lighting was not there. And then you looked at it after that, and you were like, the lens is cracked. It's gone. It's shattered. It's gone. We were like, for the longest time, how could that happen? And I was like, that's from a chicken pecking your phone. Yeah, it definitely is. You probably went down for a picture. It was like, boom. My phone was the collateral damage. That's like one of those (laughs) work-related... I need some hazard pay. Here. Yes, exactly. Can yeah, I deduct the cost of a new phone for our business expenses? Lady. <laughs> We're going to write this off. Now, I said something to Pete the other day about it. He was like, oh, I figured you just use that until you're ready for a new one. And then off it goes. You're like, I'm ready for a new one. I, I kind of am. So, I mean, it's up to me. I the can thing order is, another you just one. got that one not that long ago. Yeah, that's the thing right there. Yeah. <laughs> Note to self, 
Everyone thinks it's great when you put up a video with a chicken pecking the phone. I'm here to tell you it's not all cracked up to be. <laughs> no, that's a little spicy. That's how she always comes and after she the pecks phone. It, yeah. And she's going to get it. That's not going to be good. I'm always taking pictures with that phone. Just don't point the lenses where she can get I them. I try to go up and above uh-huh. and look down on her. So when she pecks, she's pecking the top of the phone versus yeah. the lens. Well, I am even, but then I do this little, the selfie. Uh, oh, the selfie tilt. The selfie I got gotcha. you. The selfie tilt. <laughs> Hey, we all know the selfie tilt, and it works. Just FYI, we've put Gertie to sleep. Look, she's sleeping now. She's knocked out. (laughs) So we have our special guest back in the studio. Uh Gertie enjoys Fridays with us when we record. Recording days are Fridays for us. We've been working all day, though. I'm with Gertie. I'm ready to lay down and take a nap. (laughs) Like Once again, it's nighttime. We're still recording. We had a lot to do today, so... This has been the best year and a half. Like, it's been amazing, and we're going to keep it going. Okay. I think we should take a second just to ask everybody a huge favor. If you're listening to our show and you're loving it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a written review. It does so much for the growth of our show, and we love reading them. We do. Thank you to the most recent reviewers who left just really fantastic stuff we enjoyed reading. We always love it. If you're looking for other ways to help the podcast, you can share your favorite episodes on social media. You can subscribe to the podcast where you usually listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can check out the t-shirts we have for sale on Etsy. The other thing you can do to help support the podcast is go to the affiliate links in our show notes and buy products from our sponsors. Yay! We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubly Farms. From now until the end of March, you can receive 25% off if you're a first-time buyer. I'm a long-time subscriber, and my flock love the healthy, nutritious treats, plus all products ship free. If you haven't heard, Grubly's has a fantastic layer pellet and crumble feed. It's packed with plant and insect protein, perfect for those picky chickens or ducks. This offer does not apply to subscriptions and cannot be combined with any other discounts. It's a great time to try Grubbly Farms if you haven't yet. Use the code COFFEELADIES25. Try it today. Hey, Chris. Yeah. Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chicken? Of course. Then, yeah. Let me take a minute to tell everybody about the Chicken Love Box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the Mega Box. Tons of useful products for my flock and a chicken tea for me. You can't go wrong with a chicken tea. It is so soft and so cute. In the March box, I absolutely love the string of fabric prosperity chickens and the blank watercolor chicken note card. I love those amazing chicken salt and pepper shakers. They look so cute in my kitchen. And Strong Animal Chicken Essentials has their flock fixer in the box. You can't go wrong with it. Boxes start at $39. They ship immediately after your purchase and shipping is always free. It's such a great deal. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. Okay, so now it's about that time for it. Ding, 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 green spotlight. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This week's green spotlight is the Japanese bantam. Yes, it is. And it is a true bantam breed. They are. They're ridiculously cute. Did you follow Teapot Chicken on Instagram? Oh, yeah. Teapot was a Japanese bantam. And I was so sad when he passed away. I cried and cried when he passed away. It was not good. But he really was a good example of the Japanese bantam. And they are so cute, They're so cute. They're sometimes called the Chabo. Okay. And they've been in Japan for hundreds of years. 
Sometimes you'll read that they did not originate in Japan. They may have originated in China or India. Okay. And honestly, there's no way to substantiate that. All chickens originated in the Indochina area. So, yeah, you can say with truth that the Japanese bantam came from China at some point. At some point. But they've been in Japan for hundreds of years. Now, they didn't arrive in Europe or the U.S. until around 1860. It's still far back, though. It is, right. And some of that was because... Up until the 1860s, Japan was not open for trade with the West. Yeah. So if you're like me, I don't know if some of you are like this, but I collect tchotchkes that are made in Japan. Uh There's all different kinds you can get. Right. People, animals of different periods. And you hit the jackpot. The ones that are worth more say made in occupied Japan. That's right. So that's when you're talking about is that after that time period. Mm -hmm. After Right. After the Second World War. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But you can see these beautiful little chickens doing their thing in a Japanese garden. We don't like the word ornamental at all applied to a living thing. They're show chickens. They're definitely show chickens. You can see that. And the boys are so cute. They're so cute. Oh, my God. They make excellent pets, and they're really great house chickens. Oh, yeah, for sure. Your hens are going to lay around 100 to 150 cream or white-colored eggs, and that's per year. And that is in my poor category. What do you want, man? They're show birds. Yes. They do go broody, though, so they'll hatch a clutch for you. So that's something. Most bantams are broody. Yes. Especially yeah. true bantams. Yeah, exactly. They are very gentle and friendly, but they're not the most cold-hardy. I can see that. They're tiny. They're Right. So they're most small bantams, size. They're small. And they actually, for as small as they are, they have a lot of comb and waddle. Those roosters have tons of comb. And feathers. Yeah. They're tiny, but they have the tail of a big bird. They do. They what do. a little tiny body. Yep. And that's what makes them so adorable. Right. They stand out among the true bantams because they have these great big combs. They have the really low-hanging wings and that tail. Even it's, the females. Yeah. The tail is much taller than their head. And for the roosters, the sickle feathers will go straight up. And then they have those short legs. So they have this really distinct silhouette. Yes. And that tail on the female is straight up and down. Yeah. Like a Mediterranean breed. Yeah. So it doesn't go out to the back at all. I mean, they're just so cute. Among the true bantams, they stand out and they have that unique silhouette. They're so cute. Well, you know, I'm a sucker for the roosters and those little tails on the boys. Oh, man. Teapot's people used to put up video of him like running across the park. They're still doing it. But it's so sad to watch. I know. I still love him. Yeah. He's just the cutest. So the Japanese bantams have yellow legs, and the legs are tied to a lethal creeper gene. Okay, the creeper gene. We talked about this gene back in episode 24, where we profiled the Scots Dumpy. That was way back when. Yeah, it is. But they have that same long leg, short leg issue. So the creeper gene, it's abbreviated CP, and it's sometimes called a semi-lethal gene. Okay. If you look at the genetics... The creeper gene gives short legs, but it can also cause in-shell chick death. We talked about this before for the same reason. And the Arcana has a similar semi-lethal gene that's tied to them. How this works is if you breed two short-legged birds together, 50% of them will have short legs. And they could have one really tall brother. Well, 25% can have the long legs, yes. (laughs) I would like to see the same bird. With short legs and then the same bird with long legs. The thing is, you can see photos of them every now and again, but the long legs are not accepted by the breed standard. So all you see are the show quality Japanese I know. So if you have one of these birds, send us a picture with the long legs. Yeah, we want to see the long leg Japanese (laughs) bands. We do. And then the other 25% of the offspring manifest that lethal gene and they die in the show. And that's the sad part. 
There are a couple ways around this. Japanese bantams with short legs are heterozygous, meaning they inherit one dominant creeper allele and then one recessive allele for normal right. length. The creeper gene causes the long bones in the legs to grow to only about 80% of their normal length. Okay. But any bird that inherits two CP alleles or is homozygous for the CP gene dies in the embryo stage, usually during the first week of incubation. So at least it's early on and they right. don't suffer. They're not really developed yet. So if you breed one long-legged bird and one short-legged bird, about 50% of the offspring will be homozygous for the normal legs. So that half. Right. This is where it gets interesting. About 50% will be heterozygous and therefore will have the short legs. And you can largely avoid the problems that come along with that right. creeper gene. So Honestly, I've looked them up. I've never seen a long legged Japanese bantam. I've never seen photos of one myself. No. The reality is you can breed two long legged Japanese bantams together and you'll get only long legged chicks and no death, but obviously you cannot show these birds. The breed standard calls for the short legs. Yeah. I mean, that's what makes that distinct profile. That's what makes a bantam. It's what makes them hilarious when they run. Oh, yeah. And the big, huge tail, it's the normal size tail with the little legs. Yes, exactly. And the little body. Yeah. Everything put together makes it one of the most adorable chickens out there. I would really love to know more of their history in Japan. It's not oh, yeah. accessible to me at this point. There are two books on Japanese bantams out there. I don't know how much background is on them. And if I would try to buy them, they would not have arrived in time for us to do this breed spotlight. Right. But you probably will see them. Absolutely. I mean, I've built it quite an amazing library. Chicken library. Of, yeah, of chicken histories. So anyway, we don't know their story before 1860. The beautiful black-tailed white Japanese bantam appeared in the American Poultry Association Standard of Perfection in 1874. We mentioned teapot. That's what teapot was. Yes. A black-tailed white. And everyone who's on Instagram, on Twitter, knows who little teapot was. He was very, very popular. The black-tailed white was followed by the gray in 1914. And in 1947, the modeled Japanese bantam was added to the standard I of saw one in here, the modeled. They're very pretty. Yeah. At present day, there are nine color varieties recognized by the American Poultry Association. Okay, let's go. Bard. Black-tailed buff. Wheaton. Black. White. Brown, red. And that's it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> but the British Poultry Association actually has even more colors than that. They're bred in different ways and get all different kinds of color combos. Yeah. I mean, I was surprised there was a bar and I, I had to look it up myself. Mostly what I have seen are the black-tailed white, the black-tailed buff, mm -hmm. and the black and white. Yes. So you looked up a modeled earlier and it's that same look that we love, the black with the white spangles. It reminds it. me of the coaching. Yeah. The modeled is the modeled. It's one of my favorites, and I don't have any modeled chicken. It's one of my favorites as well. Yeah, it's so, so beautiful. I mean, they're beautiful. They're cute. That color combination almost looks like little white hearts on the end. If you're just looking for a couple of cute chickens to sort of totter around your garden and look gorgeous, you purse cannot chickens. go wrong with this breed. Yeah, purse chickens, absolutely. You can't go absolutely. wrong with the Japanese bantam. I want a bantam flock myself. Uh -huh. I would definitely go for a Japanese bantam. And if you're not breeding them, you don't have to worry yourself about the lethal gene. Would you buy a long-legged if that's what was presented to you? No. <laughs> you need the short-legged look? Look, I'm 5'1". I'm short. I want bantams. They have to be short. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. I was just asking. I mean, how would this be if I'm the short chicken lady with a tall bantam? <laughs> It's not going to be that much taller. I, of course, would take the tall one. I would take any chicken. I know you You know would. that. I'm just joking. I know. But I'm half joking. I want a short-legged bantam 
We're just hitting images and we could just do this all night. And then one would be the cuter than the next one. They are definitely a companion chicken. Oh, yeah. They could go and be a show chicken in Vegas. They are that cute. Yeah. And they're known to be so friendly. I mean, I don't know the history of bantams in Japan. I don't know if they would have been reserved for wealthy people. I'm sure they would have. Looking at them, there's no doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Because they're not the most practical chicken in the world. For sure. Not that we care about a practical chicken, but yeah. yeah. I mean, they're going to lay you 150 eggs. Tiny eggs. Yes. Here you go. Just like, now carry me around, please. They're super friendly. I could see Ella carrying around. Oh, yeah. You know, one of these little girls or boys. Definitely. They're so cute. The Japanese Bantam Breeders Association was formed in the U.S. in 1947, and the Japanese Bantam Club of Great Britain was founded back in 1912. Wow. So if you're trying to find these little birds to buy, you could check in with either one of those clubs. We'll have them both in our show notes. Yes. Where else can you find them? You can find them at Murray McMurray. Murray McMurray has the black, I think. Yeah. The other thing you can do is you can just Google local breeders to see if anyone in your area has them. Again, make sure they do vaccinate for Merricks. Yeah. Yeah. Just Google breeders, see if somebody around you is breeding them and check them out. They really are fairly common. We found them at Murray McMurray. I found them a few other places and they are not hard to get your hands on. And they're cute. They're so cute. So again, if you have pictures, if you have them, email us pictures. We love, love, love to see them. Reach out to us. They're so cute. Oh my goodness. Have you heard of Strong Animals Chicken Essentials? They make natural supplements for your flock. Strong Animals has used plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Their products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to support the immune system and digestive health. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals health products. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today. Okay, so now we're going to move on to our main topic, and this is March. It's Women's History Month. So every week, we want to showcase somebody that's done something extraordinary for the chicken world who is a woman. This week, we talk with Kelly Rakowski, who we've had on before. Right. Kelly is very well known for the website Poultry DVM, where she provides useful health information to chickens for everyone. There's no denying that that is an enormous contribution to the chicken keeping world. Their graphics are amazing. But wait, there's more. There's more to this woman. And that's why we're showcasing her this week. Has everybody out there heard of Adopt-A-Bird Network? Oh, yeah. She created it. She is one amazing, hardworking lady. And we spoke with her all about Adopt-A-Bird Network. And we'd like to bring that interview to you now. So enjoy. Welcome back. Hello, guys. Thanks for having me back. Of course. You are welcome on this show anytime you want to be on. Your account, Poultry DVM, the graphics, I love the way they explain every different kind of scenario, how to help somebody, how to set up. It's amazing. Thank you for doing those. Love them. But this. Yeah, this is your alter ego. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm sure this is very near and dear to your heart. Adopt-A-Bird Network is a nationwide online database where you can go search adoptable pets. And there's a lot of poultry listed. Chickens, ducks. Do you ever have geese on there? Sometimes. As well as tropical birds. So we want to hear all about this because it's an absolutely amazing addition to the chicken world and very needed. So can you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to create Adopt-A-Bird Network? 
Uh, it was a bunch of different little things, I suppose. I'd say initially, I kind of learned about the fact that there were so many chickens and birds that were ending up in shelters and being dumped through doing the case stories for Poultry Museum, actually, because a lot of those case stories were from different animal sanctuaries that rescued animals. And so through that, I learned that it's like this whole other world that I did not realize with respect to the backyard chickens and also the factory birds as well. And I'd say Hen Harbor in particular really inspired me to want to rescue or want to do something. Um, Hen Harbor is in California. Is that right? Yeah. She was, you know, rescuing them and she actually also rescues um, the ex-factory hens and rehomes them. And so I'd say that got me started saying, okay, I want to rescue. And then once I learned that, I started thinking more like, what focus am I going to have? Like, is it going to be animal shelters? Is it going to be the hens? And then I realized these birds in the animal shelters don't have anyone advocating for them. A lot of the shelters just have them there and they'll advertise about the dogs and the cats and the rabbits and everything. But they forget about the birds. And a lot of times they sit there like there is a few. I mean, there is still today some that sit there for years. And it's just so sad. I felt like they needed a voice and they needed somebody to help them. And so (laughs) I was like, you know what? I'm going to this is what I'm going to focus on. This is this is what's needed. And I want to help these guys. And you're doing an amazing, excellent job at what you do. Absolutely. Everybody knows Adopt-A-Bird Network now. It is well known across the United States. You've created something that has gone from state to state. And now you say Adopt-A-Bird Network and people know exactly what you're talking about. So that is a big accomplishment as one person set out to say, look, I want to be the voice for these birds that don't have one. That is truly inspiring that you have taken this on. It's taken off. It's helped so many birds. I was just going to say, I feel like Adopt-A-Bird Network also has contributed to the point where people are more aware now. So recently in our community, a Brahma rooster ended up in the county shelter. And I can't tell you how many people were sharing and tagging people in that post. And people were aware. And especially us. I was very tempted because it was a Brahma, but I talked to my husband about it. And then when I checked back, he had already been adopted. Yay! But but yeah, I think because of things like Adopt a Bird Network that really gives a voice to these critters, everyone knew, hey, this rooster doesn't belong here. Let's, let's get the word out so someone takes him home. And it worked. It's fantastic. It's so caring also. And it shows that you have a very big heart and are sharing it with animals. I love that. My question is, do you remember your first rescue case and how did that make you feel? Technically, the first birds I rescued were ones that were part of my flock. I guess initially, I just put my information, give it to the local tractor supply and was like, if you get everyone come in that doesn't want birds, let me know. And so I ended up taking on a lot of different birds. And then once I started Adopt-A-Bird Network... Actually, I think one of the first poses I did, I just went anyways and went and adopted the bird. Oh, you went, went yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I think I posted it because I was thinking maybe someone and then they didn't. And they were named Kung Pao. And so I was like, really? I really don't like that. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I need to adopt this guy. Because it's like whenever they give them those names, I get so worried. Anyway, so yeah, and he's still here with me. His name's Mozart now. No more compound. <laughs> yeah, I was like, let's change that right away. Oh my goodness. Holly can't stop over here. That, that <laughs> that her funny bone over here. 
Well, it did mean for two reasons. First, well, you know, I don't eat meat at all. And so to me, because I have Bantam Roosters, Kung Pao Spicy would be a fitting name for Bantam Rooster. But the, the thing that really has me laughing is that the very first post you make, you adopt and burn yourself. I love that. That just keeps saying your heart is huge. You have so yes. much love in there for these animals. So your very first rescue you took, you're like, okay, forget it. Yeah. So basically that was my first real rescue. I mean, and, and after that, you know, every bird I rescue or help rescue, I, I just, I feel like I have an attachment to like every bird I post about, I feel like I have an attachment to. It's like, they're all my babies and I want them all to go to good homes. I have a story that can kind of go with this a little bit. As everybody knows, I was a veterinary technician for 15 years, and 11 of those years were a very busy animal hospital within Baltimore City, a very large state-of-the-art hospital in which I ran a trauma team. And I also ran the adoption through the hospital because one of the things of being in an urban area in an animal hospital, you get a lot of things left Dump. at your door, yeah. yep. chained uh, to the fence. Yep. Uh, and as the people who work in the animal hospital, you do it because you love animals so much. And there's no way you want to always have to call animal control to well, get them. And, and Dr. Kaufman was a bleeding heart, too. Yeah. So if you put Christy with Dr. Kaufman, these animals were taken in and adopted. So I was in charge of getting the word out. And I know how hard that can be. And this was before oh, the internet, internet was, state, yeah. kind of. Yep. And then came the interviewing process, and I got to be known around the area as the hard-nosed adoption agent. <laughs> so <laughs> every cat or dog that was adopted out, they would have to schedule a meet and greet, which was an interview with me, and then schedule a second meet and greet, which is a second interview with me. And then at that point, I made my decision and then would call them, and then they would have to come back. <laughs> so there were three visits Dedication. And I always felt like that took away the urge to just do it on a whim. Like they were making an educated decision and knew that that animal would fit. Because you want them, once they are put in that situation, to go to a happy home. Probably they were becoming your babies just as much as the birds become Kelly's babies. Exactly. Yeah. Like you take care of them every day and you love them. I see exactly where you're coming from. It's so hard sometimes. Oh, I wouldn't be out of work in a shelter. Every bird would come home with me. Well, this was an animal <laughs> hospital. This wasn't Our, even a shelter. Yeah. It was a hospital. It was the hospital, you know? So we would be doing our hospital work and then we would show up the next morning and there'd be five one-day-old kittens on our doorstep oh, that someone would just leave there. And you're like, okay, let's get the adoption. <laughs> I really feel like in the urban areas, you get that. Yeah. My husband and I were deciding we were going to become monthly donors to one of the local animal shelters. And we ended up choosing Baltimore City because we felt like they needed it the most. Yeah. So back to chickens. What types of birds does Adoptive Bird Network help to rehome? And are roosters the largest groups that end up in the shelter? Any bird I see that needs a home, I'll you know try to post about them. But I tend to take preference over the birds that are most at risk, mainly because I feel like they need the most help. Not that I won't help the others, but the exotic birds, usually when they come in, the shelters have a fee set for them. And the adoption requirements are usually much easier. And you don't have to worry about someone adopting a budgie to eat. But it happens to the okay. roosters. Well, I mean, yeah, I hope it doesn't happen, but it's a, like a risk that, especially when they have like free adoptions or, or kind of right. give Chinese food names and stuff or don't interview them trying to find out just some background information at least. Yeah. 
And so that's why I kind of have a extra attention for those guys. Not that I don't help the other, because I mean, I'll help whoever I see. It's just the other factor is those are who are there. Those are the majority of the birds that I'm seeing. Yeah. But it's not just roosters, though. There are a lot of hens, too, but they just yeah. are adopted out much quicker. Like, sometimes yeah. I don't even get a chance to post about them because they're already adopted. And what are the reasonings, like, behind the hens? Are they because people move or they just can't do it anymore? Do they give reasons? So the main reasons why hens are dumped are either they're not laying as many eggs anymore is the big one. The other is a lot of hoarding cases or cockfighting busts. A lot of the will show up in those. And so then, you know, those are also significant, mainly also because a lot of the times they euthanize all the roosters and take in all the hens to adopt out, which I'm not too happy about, but some shelters are changing that. That We're giving chickens a voice. That's an uphill struggle. That's an uphill struggle that takes me back to the Michael Vick pit bulls. People had to go to court and advocate to keep those dogs alive, be able to rehabilitate them. And I think there are cases where people do need to advocate for roosters in that fashion. For sure. Yeah. I work with a group in Virginia. I love what they do. They go and they've been stopping cockfighting around the area and they actually will contact me to help them rehome and not just the hens, the roosters too. And there's a lot of shelters that do too, but I'd say there's probably few and far between of, you know, the shelters. I, I wish more of them would, but the, the yeah. other problem, sometimes it's hard because having to house that many birds during that time. I'm in rural Harford County in Maryland, and we are a rural area. The shelter, I live probably five minutes from. There's always a rooster in there, I feel like. That shelter does work really hard to rehome them, so I'm always happy with that, and I feel like they're finding homes. And this one in Baltimore County really took off. Like, everyone advocated advocated for that. Yes. You know, it made me laugh. So I'm the Brava lover, right? And the only person who sent me the post was my other bestie, Michelle. Chrissy, who has no roosters, has 20 people tagging her on this post. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I'm like, I'm getting tagged 20 times on here. And if you're the person, I think his name was Socks. And yes. If, if you're the person who adopted Socks, tell us because we want to hear his happy ending. Oh, yeah. Okay, so let's move on. So we're giving voices to these birds in the shelters. What we want to know at this point is, how does the website work? And do shelters need to submit adoptable birds? Can they for the inclusion into Adoptive Bird Network? Oh, I wish more would. would, That would make my life easier. It was so much easier. Unfortunately, I only have three organizations that will regularly contact me when they get chickens in. They're wonderful. I've actually contacted almost every single shelter in the entire United States and asked them to let me know if they get it in birds, but there's only three that do. (laughs) Let's back up. Let's do how someone, so it's the shelter or someone contacting you that adds the birds onto the database. Yeah. And the other thing is I do have a lot of individuals contact me. Now, as much as I'd love to help every single individual in the world, it would be almost impossible for me to do that. Yeah. And also it takes away from the shelter roosters who are the ones, they don't have anybody. So I I try to just keep with the shelter birds or or ones that sometimes occasionally I'll, you know, I'll I'll say, okay, I'll I'll, I'll help, you know, depending on, you know, the day of the week or how I feel. I'm like, all right, I'll try. But I typically try to not just because of that reason, because it's like, it takes me about four or five hours, honestly, to look through to find all these birds because the shelters don't submit them to me. So... It's like a treasure hunt finding them (laughs) because there's like four different search engines 
a lot of these shelters don't even list the roosters on their website. So I have to scroll, like find them in social media. And a lot of them will post only some birds and not the others or on the pet search engine. So it's like, it is a process. Um, Let's put this out there to our listeners. If you are a listener that is connected with a rescue anywhere in the United States, and you're in an area that does get chickens, please submit them to Kelly at Adoptive Bird Network because they will be adopted so much quicker because there are a lot of people looking to adopt via Adoptive Bird Network. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Kelly, you also list them on social media. So if you follow Adoptive Bird Network on, say, Instagram, you see the regular posts come up as well. Yeah. And sometimes people do submit like volunteers for shelters who, who will take pictures. Of, and I, I love them too. That's almost even better because I'm getting quality uh, media to be able to present. These guys need help overall. So the best you can do is give them at least an advantage by taking a good photo or putting yeah. a visual video to, tra- to attract people. A lot of these places, the intake photos is like dark and you can barely make them out. And people really need to see these guys. Sometimes when they do that, I all repost them. And thank you if you're listening and you do that. This is a resource that you are offering to shelters free of charge. You know, help get them out of the shelter and find a regular home. I don't see a lose part of this for a shelter. Exactly. Except for when it comes in, they have to intake the bird and then go through all the protocol. And then they can send all the information to you to help get a suitable home. It's a no-brainer. Yeah. Part of the problem is, is, see, a lot of the people that run the shelters, their focus is, is on managing whatever or taking care of the animals. It's like a, a problem I've noticed throughout how they're run, basically. There's very few that actually have individuals trying to get them homes. And those that do usually don't care about the chickens. They usually only care about the dogs or cats. So it's actually the volunteers at these shelters who are the most helpful. They're more into wanting and have the ability to save an individual's animals versus the shelter, which, you know, they're preoccupied with basically, you know, the management thing. This is what I want to see. Where do chickens rank? Because when we were talking to Jane Howard a few weeks ago, basically she was telling us in the UK, chickens rank fifth right now. And she's trying to get them up right behind dogs and cats. So I'm thinking, where are chickens ranking right now in the US? Where do chickens rank as pets? I can't find any cut and dry statistics like they okay. have in the UK. And it's also the bodies doing the surveys they're asking about people owning chickens as opposed to people who say they have pet chickens. Right. So you have a farming there. there. Right. So according to the American Pet Product Association's 2021 to 2022 National Pet Owner Survey, they have found that ownership of backyard chickens increased from 8% in 2018 to 13% in wow. 2020, which is a big difference. That's a yeah, big jump. That's a big jump. The trend is upwards for sure. I mean, I can kind of tell by the number of birds dumped <laughs> in the number of people contacting. I mean, I think it's great, but at the same time, I feel like it can be a little overwhelming because I'm like, oh no, there's just going to be more dumped, <laughs> you know? Uh, so I feel like it's wonderful that people are wanting to, you know, have chickens, but please consider adopting <laughs> instead of uh, right. contributing more to the problem. The next plan of mine is to, you know, try to save some of these ex-factory hens like they do in the UK with the British Hen Trust does. But Harbor does in California. If I could get that everywhere, someone wants to buy, you know, one's hens, we'll be like, oh, you can adopt them. You don't need to get baby chicks. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's an interesting question. For someone who just has one coop, how do you work this? 
for someone like me, it's lucky enough to have property in multiple coops. You know, two local roosters needed rescuing. We took them right in. We quarantined them for a couple months. They fit right in. They have their own little bachelor area. And I'm prefacing this by saying that I grew up on a farm where they took off-track thoroughbreds and rehabilitated, and my early agriculture was llama and alpaca rescue. So for me, it was a seamless thing to make space for some rescues. Even with dogs and cats. Exactly. It's a lot easier. It's a lot easier, There's right. a biosecurity risk when you're bringing chickens right. in that are rescued. So we were saying it's almost like you need an additional coop yeah. for it's, the rescue yeah. hens. yeah. Let's be honest, there are some that will come with some problems because of their circumstances. Yeah, yeah, they can. They yeah. aren't coming from the best care. That's how they got there. So you may have to quarantine them for quite a long time to deal with some issues of parasites or mites or something like that. And that's okay. You just have to have the space. That was the upshot of our conversation. If there is a way for us to encourage new chicken folks to be able to, to get the breeds they want, but maybe also plan for taking some ex-battery hens mm -hmm. or taking some shelter chickens, it would be a great thing to be able to think ahead and set up for both eventualities. Yeah. This is probably the deepest question on here. Emotionally, how do you handle this work? Does it take a toll on you? Yeah. I mean, honestly, it can be really difficult. There have been numerous instances where like, I felt like everything's pointless, I should give up. But then I hear a positive update about a bird, you know, that they adopted them through Adopt-A-Bird Network, or that they decided to start a bachelor flock because of one of the webinars, or they were inspired to like want a rooster from something I've done. And that just makes everything meaningful. That alone is like all I need to hear. And I'll just keep going because it's like, I know that I'm making a difference, which is that's all I want to do is make a positive difference for them. And it could be one bird at a time and it's, yeah, you're doing it. That is what motivates me. It's like not anything else, but just helping if I can get one bird help, you know, saved and, and in a better home and inspire like at least one person to care and to want to help. I mean, cause that's the other thing. A lot of people that are on Adopt a Bird Network, not all of them have the capability to adopt their living circumstance or can't keep a rooster, but just having support and like the fact that they care and they're trying and they like even just making comments on the post, it helps because I feel like it just helps inspire everybody, you know? Exactly. Um, That's yeah. what we're saying. If you're yeah. listening to this, follow on all social medias, Adopt a Bird Network. It makes a difference. We say this all the time. In social media, follow, like, comment, converse with whoever the account is. It makes a difference for everyone. It makes us all feel a little bit closer to one another. And please don't stop because you are an amazing person and you're doing such fantastic things. And we commend you 1 million percent. You have a heart of gold, Kelly, and it shines through so strong in everything that you do for these animals. And there aren't a lot of people like you out there that are doing this. That's true. So, I mean, to showcase you in this is one of our favorite things, along with somebody like Jane, people who make a huge difference to these animals that are just tossed aside otherwise. People can't really comment on them unless they have chickens because you don't know. So yeah. People say it's just a chicken, but you don't know until you have one. Yeah. It's not just a chicken. Yeah, it's so or, frustrating hearing that, too, from people, because I get that a lot. People are like, oh, it's just a chicken lady, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I get that. Like, even my own parents don't really. I love right. them, but they don't really understand. 
They don't understand the chicken lady? They think oh, that's no, weird? They like, don't understand my attachment to them. Or like, I mean, they've kind of gotten better about it over the years because I've kind of made them have to. <laughs> but, but no one but, no one knows until you actually have a chicken in your life. And all it takes is that first set of a few chickens and you are done forever. And you know the quality of who they are. The fact that every single one is an individual, they have a whole set of personalities and they're intelligent. All you need is a chicken in your lap and you're usually done done. for. You know, so thank you. Thank you for everything that you're doing. That was one of the things when we were writing out our questions for you, we were like, man, emotionally, how does Kelly do this? Because it's even hard for us to look at all the pictures because- It can be. We want to take them all in, you know, but we can't. You follow through and you see these little faces and you're their voice. One chicken at a time. Yeah, yeah. It does take a toll, but yeah, like I said, it's like when I hear the good stories and the positive is what keeps me going and and makes it all worthwhile. But there's still a lot of ways to go. There's still a lot sitting in shelters now, so. You're doing a lot to further it even more, even at small steps. And that's going to take me into my next question for you. You offer the educational resources to people for different things like bachelor flock webinars and different things like that. How are those things working? And will there be more webinars coming up? Yeah. To be honest, the webinar thing is kind of a new thing for me, like the technology wise and stuff. Prior to COVID, I was doing workshops in person, which I kind of enjoyed better. Yeah, <laughs> sure. I feel like you can connect with people more and there's nothing like showing, like physically showing people like chickens and like having them be like, oh, I actually never realized how friendly roosters are. In LA, I did one with the LA Animal Shelter and Animal Services and I trained one of the roosters to do a trick. So it was like the nice. opening, like, one of the shelter roosters, the little chick people were like, oh, then knew they could do that. I love inspiring people and I love educating them. And so I will continue doing that in different ways. Like I'd like to start back up doing the beginner chicken workshops again with shelters once COVID dies down only because I feel like that's needed. And also it helps people that are starting to flock, you know, kind of encouraging them to adopt. There are so many hens. I know people, they buy the chicks because they want the hens, but there's hens, the shelters. So, you know, you can always adopt or, you know, adopt a rooster, which I'd love even more. Well, <laughs> but, that's um, the thing with your webinar on how to start a bachelor flock. That is enabling people to be able to be educated on the care of them, how to do it, and give them the confidence to say, I can do this and maybe adopt two roosters or three and give them a home. You're full circle. You do it all, woman. How are you doing this? You are so busy, but you are making a difference in educating and getting the word out on these birds. So, Kelly, tell us a little bit about your personal flock, your own rescues. Well, they're near me right now. I tried to <laughs> call in, in the chicken coop with them, and it didn't really go over too well because the roosters were too loud. But, yeah, I have a bunch of rescues of my own. They're all a little bunch of misfits. I love them all. Yeah, they're two batcher flocks and one mixed flock and a bunch of different breeds. I love them. It's hard not to love them. I, I mean, love the fact that you're living you what you're doing. Absolutely. That's something we always say all the time. You walk your talk. You walk your talk. And yep. that right there, it's amazing. Do you have mostly bantams? I have a few, but I, I also have some like standards. I have a bared rock. <laughs> he's he's <Okay>. huge. <laughs> he actually, I tried to weigh him the other day. He broke the scale. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so, yeah, error, error. I was like, okay, buddy, you're, 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 not, you're a little too big for this. You're like, you broke the scale, man. Come on. <laughs> he's adorable. I love him. He's such oh, I bet he's gorgeous. Yeah. You teach about bachelor flocks because you have two bachelor flocks. So that's what makes it so great. You're teaching from your own experience and what's working for you. And we've talked about this in our other episode where we spoke with you. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't depending upon personality of the two roos, but all these things you teach in your webinars. Yeah. So the resources are out there for people to do that and then to help and to, you know, like we were saying, to set up maybe like a rescue coop where the chickens come in from the rescue that you help. That's, I mean, honestly, one thing I would like to see on the U.S. supply market is access to well-built smaller affordable coops so people have more flexibility for putting up maybe smaller runs with different coops in case you have a bachelor flock that might need to be separated or in case you decide that you can't walk away from those 2x battery heads right now the average person you want to buy a very tiny coop that the store is selling for 400 dollars. it doesn't even keep air from getting in right. there oh so, yeah they're like toys I look at those when I go in the store and I'm like, are you kidding me? And then each chicken has like two feet to walk. I'm like, this yeah. is just a crime kind of that it's out there. But yeah, I agree I feel with like that, that idea. would go a long way towards opening people up for more rescues. I, I really do. Access to better facilities for chicken keeping. Yeah. What I've been doing personally is constructing a partition, which has worked so far for when I you know get in birds and I need to separate them. It's like I just build them with wood and screen, all sorts of different materials, but it was really quite easy to do. And then I just like put it in between and basically it's separating them. You are a super <laughs> chicken lady. We need the cake for Kelly. She is a super <laughs> chicken lady. Now, I don't say that as a joke. That is the God of the truth right there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so let's go into how does poultry DVM help with adopt a bird network? How do the two work together? They both have different goals because Poultry DVM is, you know, promoting proper vet care. Adoptive Bird Network is about learning too, but it's, it's a different type of learning, I suppose. I try to kind of separate the two, but at the same time, I can't help but combine the two because I'm doing both. So yeah. the graphics, I try to, you know, because I'm doing both, I, I kind of intertwine those. And then I also feel like they can kind of help each other a little too, because the people that follow Adoptive Bird Network and are adopting birds, I actually would really want them to also take the birds to the vet <laughs> and like care for them properly. So then I'm like having poultry DVM, I can kind of help facilitate that a little, being like, here's a list of vets. That's another thing we were talking about is veterinary care for these chickens because they're going to need it because, like we were saying, they don't come from somebody who's really taking great care of them. Yeah, they generally don't. And another thing about the biosecurity is there's two parts to why you want to kind of keep them separate. The first is, yes, they may be carrying some kind of illness and you want to watch them. But the second is these birds are coming from a very stressful situation. Yeah. And when birds are stressed, that is when they're more likely to shed pathogens. So you don't want to put a stressful bird in with your other flock because if there was any problem, they would start setting it. So part yeah. of the quarantine and stuff is like getting them to kind of be okay with their environment, relax, you know, and then when they kind of feel more at home and, you know, and then you know there's nothing wrong with them and you put them in with the other birds and, you, you know, you have less to kind of worry about. 
And also you get to know them. I think it's better to kind of get to know the bird more. I feel like when you have these guys out in a flock, you're able to connect with them more when they're in a flock environment. Here's my horse. We can't see him. There we go. Oh, yeah, there we go. (laughs) (laughs) Our first horse that has come to our interview. (laughs) He may come down more. He's probably going to bother me for treats. I'm the cheat lady. We all know that one of your other missions is veterinary care. And that's our mission also, bridging this gap between chickens and veterinarians. And that all runs together. The well, education. certainly. A new adopter who needs education, Poultry DVM is right there for them with graphics. So it's almost like post-adoption support. It really works perfectly that way. And I just try to do an infographic on quarantine and kind of post-adoption. I probably need to do another one. Another thing is I want to try to eventually be able to get these out to animal shelters to give away yeah. to people and adopt so that they have something to kind of go by a guide. And also for the shelters themselves, you know, a lot of them are still learning how to take care of the birds. They're bird. flying by the seat of their pants, too. They're like, how do we take care of these chickens? It's just a really good thing. Kelly, what's on the horizon for Adopt the Bird Network? Do you have any future plans for expansion? I love, 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 love to expand. And I'm trying to right now, I'd love to get into Canada right now, for example. I'm increasingly trying to get to know the shelters there. But I have so many ideas and so many different things I'd love to do. The problem is is I'm one person. So I'm a little limited by that. I'm hoping that eventually I'll be able to grow enough that I can like hire people to kind of help. And, you know, I have had a lot of volunteers, which I love. They were so nice. I just haven't gotten enough time to get around to figuring out how to offload stuff. So I'm still like kind of figuring that out. Anyways, but some of the things are, like I said before, the, you know, adopting out hens to people, trying to get everywhere, you know, to offer that. And then also getting them into schools. Because recently I had a a few different schools in D.C. wanting to adopt birds instead of, you know, hatching chick stuff. And I love that. It was wonderful. And I was all for helping them. That's another thing I'd love to do, implement that so that more schools do that. And it's not even just schools. Like There's so many different avenues, like chickens for therapy, for example, for elderly homes and stuff. Maybe like set up basher flocks for like nursing homes so then people can go be around them and and take care of them. And I mean, they do it with prisoners too, with the dogs, you know, having them take Uh care of them. There's just so many different avenues and I have so many different ideas I want to do. Right now it's hard, so I'm kind of just trying to keep with the growth of it right now. Sometimes I have trouble keeping up with that. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. But those are just amazing, amazing things. Any place where you can connect people in need with poultry in need is just a beautiful thing. Oh, yeah. So what we wanted to talk to you about, and you're like waist high in this with adoption and seeing people just dumping birds. It's heartbreaking. They need homes. What is a tip that you can give the person who is about to take on having chickens so that they go into this eyes wide open so that their birds don't end up one of the birds on Adopt-A-Bird Network? There's different avenues with this, but let's say roosters, if they have a baby rooster and they don't want to have to give him up because of for whatever reason, I'd say work with him from the very beginning, work with all your birds, handle them often, get to know them, be comfortable handling them. Because if by chance the rooster does start to get a little rowdy in the future, having that relationship with him will minimize the chance of that, A. B, it'll allow them to fix it easier. 
just having a connection and a relationship with the bird will help prevent that. I suppose the other thing would be to also be aware that if you live in an area that doesn't allow roosters, I wouldn't buy baby chicks and I wouldn't incubate eggs. I would try to find adults. If you cannot have a rooster, do not hatch eggs. Hatching eggs is not the avenue you want to go down because you will most certainly get at least one cockerel, but probably more. That's what always kills me sometimes. I see people who say they don't like roosters, they don't want it, but they're getting hatching eggs. What do you think is going to happen? No, you're absolutely right. You're going to get more roosters. Don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Know your limitations. Know what you have room for. And we say this all the time. What you get out is what you put in and you need to handle them from day one of having them so that you have a bond and a relationship with them. And like you said, that may stop them from having to be rehomed. If you come along a bump in the road, don't have the very first thing you think of is goodbye. Right. Yeah. 99% of these guys, any kind of issues can be fixed or mitigated. All it takes is just caring enough to do it. Anyone that has any issues with the roosters, I always offer this to anyone I see. They can contact me directly and I will help them. I will do whatever it takes to help it so they do not have to rehome that rooster. I will walk them through the steps of different things they can do. And there are a lot of different things you can do when they're with hens and they're being territorial. I haven't come across one that has not have the ability to mitigate that so they don't anymore. I'd say that more of the issues are the ones related to the guys that have been in shelters for a while and they're by themselves. When they attack you with their hens, it's not because they actually don't like you. What they know is it's natural to protecting them. the hens. And yeah. that's what they do. And as long as you respect that and understand that's what's going on, you can work with them and they will stop doing it. The problem ones are going to be more the ones that kind of have, what's it called? Um, PTSD. Yeah, from being in isolation for years. I've never met a rooster yet that was, say, raised with hens in a family situation that was aggressive that did not instantly become a big teddy bear as soon as you remove him from the hen. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, completely. There's so many different things you can do. You know, do the different exercises. If worse comes to work, just put him in a bachelor flock with the other roosters and he won't yep. do it anymore. Yep. So those are Uh, things that we want everybody to know that you can try before you even have to get to the point where you're going to give up your rooster. There's lots of stuff to try that people sometimes don't understand is out there. So we're here to help. Kelly's here to help. If you ever have any questions, you can message either us or Kelly and we'll help you the best that we can. Absolutely. Holly has eight roosters. And that just proves what Kelly was saying because we are working with the critically endangered nankins and we hatched eggs. You hatch eggs, you're you make roosters. Yep. And we knew that. So we build bachelor enclosures for them so they get to live their happy lives with us. Yeah, it's a nice experience to see the chicks hatching. But if you are not physically, emotionally set up to take a rooster, do not hatch eggs. It's not fair, honestly. It's not fair. It isn't. Also, I feel like when you're just starting out getting baby chicks, it's harder to raise baby chicks than it is to take care of adult birds. Not to mention you have to buy all the equipment and everything. So it's like extra expenses until they get old enough. A lot of people have to deal with them dying because they're, you know, they're more vulnerable when they're little. It's actually interesting because we have a lot of collaborators in the UK and we all know that in the UK, it's far more common to get point of lay hens. That's just how most people do it there. And again, why adopting ex-battery hens is such a huge popular thing there. But you are right. If you are simply looking for a laying hen, a point-of-lay hen, an ex-battery hen, something like that is by far the easiest way to go. And you're giving her a home. It's hard for me to right now to individually look for these guys. But the thing is, they're out there. 
is not just the X Factor hens. It's backyard people. You know, I see it all over. Oh, I don't want these hens anymore because they don't lay eggs anymore. Ugh. I mean, all you do is just post in, a, in one of the groups saying, does anyone have any hens they don't want? Nine times out of 10, they're probably going to have people message saying, oh, I have them. You don't even just need to do the X Factor. It's, it's even the ones in the backyard or the 4-H. A lot of the hens that recently helped give the schools were 4-H hens. They would have otherwise been killed, but instead they get to live their lives. So there are lots of ways you can even get hens still too, because they still need help. It's not just the roosters. And that's the thing. You are the lady to go to through Adopt-A-Bird Network to hook somebody up that just wants to go with rescuing hens or roos or any types of birds. It's amazing what you have done as one person. I don't have much of a life, <laughs> but it's fine. I'm happy with it because it's like, I, I'd rather do, you know. Your passion shines through your enthusiasm, your love of what you do. You're doing it for the birds and it comes through. I love talking to you because I feel like we're all aligned. We want the best for these chickens and you are so passionate about what you do. There needs to be more Kellys out there, people that do this for every bird and care deeply because every bird is a life. And the more you know chickens, the more you know that they feel they're intelligent. They understand you're wonderful in what you do. Thank you. Well, so are you guys. You're making a huge difference. I I love being able to work together and try to make a difference. All of us together as a team, we can do it. Absolutely. We want to thank you so much for coming on to talk to us again. We just wanted to commend you on all your hard work. You're such a dear friend. We love collaborating with you. And we know we have a bright future in helping some chickens. That's for sure. I really feel like I want Kelly and I want Jenny and I want Jeannie Keys to have a round table with us talking about Rooster ways training. to work with roosters. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. That could be a special episode. Absolutely. That's a special drop. That's, that would definitely be a special episode. But I just feel like there's this key group of women out there that have worked with so many roosters and are so passionate about roosters that we really need to get them together for everyone to listen to. Definitely. Once again, Kelly, thank you. Thank you. Until next time, wear your cape proudly. <laughs> you are a super chicken lady and we'll see you next time thank you guys so much for having me bye 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 we just want to thank kelly one more time for agreeing to talk to us the adoptive bird network story is very very special oh yeah kelly has made a difference in the lives of so much poultry imagine how many lives she saved in the bird world yeah it's really special so thank you kelly we love you kelly you're an amazing lady okay so now Cracking the eggs. Cracking those eggs. We're keeping it simple, but delish this week. Yeah, we went with pancakes. It's my kind of simple, man. Pancakes, yeah. Buttermilk pancakes. As we have explained in previous episodes, if you're going to make a recipe gluten and dairy-free, buttermilk is a really good way to go there. You can't go wrong with pancakes. No. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, add You can go sweet. You can go savory. You can make It's like a neutral, delicious, fluffy base. Make it your own. Yeah. And I like it because, yes, that's what exactly it is. A base that you can add in, add on, make it sweet, make it savory. So we want to talk just simple pancake batter because not everybody knows. Hey, I'm out of Bisquick. Right. But I want to make pancakes. Well, back to the buttermilk. The buttermilk helps keep the crumb of the pancakes moist and tender. The acid in the buttermilk helps give the pancakes good lift. Right. Because you don't want like hockey puck pancakes. You want fluffy pancakes. You want fluffy pancakes. 
say you start with your flour. You can just use an all-purpose flour. And to make these gluten-free, we use Bob's Red Mill. It's just one-to-one. Yep. Yeah. Now, sugar. If I'm doing a savory pancake, I take the sugar down to about two tablespoons. If I want it sweeter, three or four tablespoons. And if you're in the DiCarlo house, you're probably going to go five tablespoons. <laughs> okay. Because these girls like some <laughs> they sweetness. They like it sweet. Yeah. You're going to go with a pinch of salt, half a teaspoon baking powder, half a teaspoon baking soda. It's a full two cups of buttermilk. You can just use store-bought. You can make your own. Yes. If you're making your own, you're either going to use regular dairy milk or plant-based milk. Yes. And you're going to put two tablespoons of lemon juice or vinegar in there. Yep. Set it aside for at least 10 minutes to curdle. You're good to go. Your magic ingredients are next. Two eggs. Two eggs. Or six bantam eggs. (laughs) Yeah. Then you want some unsalted butter, about three tablespoons melted. I use either dairy-free country crock or dairy-free earth balance. Yeah. And that's about it. Whisk your dries yes. together. And then in a bowl or a measuring cup, whisk the buttermilk eggs and melted butter until it's smooth. Then you're going to pour that mixture into your dry ingredients. And here's the thing. Pancakes do not overmix. Yeah. Sometimes you don't think about it. You want everything to be mixed up so right. so well. If you have some lumps, it's okay. Yeah. You can overwork the gluten really easily in regular pancakes. It's a little harder to do that in gluten-free pancakes, but you right. still do not need to overmix it. If you overmix, you will get hockey puck pancakes. So then you're going to cook these over medium heat in the pan of choice. I don't know if you butter your pans or if you spray a little bit in them. I spray. I have ceramic pans. I spray a little bit. I spray and then do a little bit of butter. I okay. do both. And then you're just going to cook your pancakes the way you normally would? I wait. I let it bubble starting in the middle uh-huh. and then bubble all the way out. And here's the thing. I've made pancakes hundreds of times. Right. The first pancake is never the best one. It never turns out. It's like a sacrificial pancake. I know. It It never turns out. That happens when I make flourless pancakes. Yeah. It doesn't matter what kind of pancake. Here's a little tip. This is what I do. I preheat the pan, and then I was taught in home ec, Mr. Joukowsky. Oh, Lord. That's a blast from the past. 10th or 11th. I was in home ec. I thought that was 7th grade. No, no, no. I was in high school. I took cooking. Did I take this? No. Take that's when I me. took business law. Yeah. I took cooking. Okay. She taught us that you heat up your griddle. Right. And then you go to the faucet and you take a little bit of water yeah. and you splash it on. And right. when it evaporates quickly. Yes. Then your pan is hot enough. It's perfect. Yep. So I do that, but it does not matter. The first pancake never turns out. I know. Out. It's just, I just call it the sacrificial pancake and it's that's it. always, if you cook it too long, it burns. Yeah. It never is that perfect brown It's your test pancake. Just do it. Get rid of it. And then we eat it and nobody, like, we eat it while we're making the next pancake. Yeah, that's what what I do too, actually. And then I always turn my oven on to 200 and put a ceramic dish in there. Okay. And keep the pancakes warm. I actually just put a plate over the warming spot on my stovetop and do it that way. Yeah. Either one works. Either one, just to keep them warm. And then add-ins. You can add blueberries or fruit to your batter before you make it. Yep. You can add chocolate chips. You can. Oh, I love that. This is making me so hungry right now. We have not had dinner yet. This is what happens when we record this late. <laughs> I'm starving. I'm like, what else These can we add in here? These sound so good. They sound delish. When you were a kid, did your mom ever make pancakes and gravy? No. Mine did. Really? It was a thing. Yeah. And, so and what kind delicious. of gravy did she use? It was a brown gravy. Like would, a beef gravy, kind of? It might have been. I honestly can't remember. It was a brown gravy. That's what I remember. It was huh. really good, though. It uh, makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah, you can make these savory. Do whatever you want. It's an open palate. My kids like strawberries and whipped cream on oh, their pancakes. Oh, that's good, too. I like syrup and a little bit of butter. That's good, too. I, I'm starving right now, man. I know. It all sounds delicious. Okay, so our last thing about this recipe is enjoy. 
Yeah. Any pancake ideas, send us. It's a funny thing about pancakes when you think about it. You can substitute dairy. You can substitute flour. But you can't substitute for those eggs. No. Nothing makes a pancake rise the way the eggs do. And every recipe, you really can't substitute anything for the eggs. There are like methods you can, as a workaround, but you can tell the difference in taste when there's not an egg in there. So. Okay. Now it's time to move into retail therapy. Retail therapy. Yeah. Okay. So retail therapy this week, we're talking about ceramic and non-ceramic tabletop egg holders. So these stylish egg holders that you can put out on your counter, I have lots of ceramic ones. Yeah. So we were like, let's look them up and see if there's all different kinds. You know what's really funny when you're talking about that? A couple of years ago, that was all the rage in pottery. Yeah. Everyone was making these ceramic tabletop holders. They're so pretty. So here's the thing. You want to keep your eggs on the counter so that they're at the best temperature. Yep. You don't need to wash them so they'll stay well for a week or two on the counter. And then if you don't use them within the first week or so, then I transfer them. Yeah, you can box them up and refrigerate them after a while if you need to. This time of year, the eggs are rolling in. Oh, yeah. It's a slow day if I get half a dozen eggs. So we've been trying to really eat much healthier. So we've been really doing a lot of eggs for breakfast. Uh Eggs are oatmeal a lot of the time. So we're going through our eggs because if it's just me, I'll scramble like three eggs. If it's me and somebody else, it's like six. Uh-huh. So we're going through them much faster. So I like to have something decorative. It's, it's next to the stove for my eggs. Oh, yeah. And there's so many possibilities. I have all varieties of things. But these, I find the tabletop egg holders, they're so ornamental. They're just very pretty on their own. I've seen some recently that were made out of wood that were absolutely drop-dead gorgeous. Really just highlighted the wood grain and your beautiful eggs sitting in there. Here's the other thing. My sister-in-law, Joe's sister, last year gave me one that holds, I think it's 14 or 15 eggs instead of 12. Oh, nice. And it's made by the Pioneer Woman. And it's so cute. I love Pioneer Woman ceramics. Every little, when you take the egg out, there's a flower on the bottom of every. Oh, how neat. It's so cute. It sits next to my stove. And I like the fact that it's more than a dozen because I'm always still stacking on top of there before I put them in the fridge. But I have all different sizes. I actually, too, have one that's for six eggs. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. So that if you know you're going to need some eggs for a recipe, you can separate them. They come in all different colors. You can even use them just to display your eggs on the table, and it's very decorative. Well, that's what I like. They look like uh, an ornament. I guess we should also point out that if you dye Easter eggs with your kids, they look amazing in these holders. They do. And guess what? If the eggs aren't dry yet, you can just rinse and put them in the dishwasher. Yeah. Once every other week, I put mine in the dishwasher, let them run through. They're dishwasher safe. I think I at least have maybe three or four of them. Okay. You found some really cool wood ones. Emma Bridgewater has an absolutely beautiful wooden egg holder. It's on the pricier side, but boy, is it pretty. If you're going to get rainbow eggs and you want to show them off. I like to shove all my eggs no matter what color they are. Sometimes when I have the rainbow eggs, I'm like, I don't want to crack these blue or deep brown eggs. I used the green ones last. or I, Me too. Turquoise, turquoise from Franny, the leg bar. And I heard Pete the other day saying, which one should I use? Which are the oldest? All the green <laughs> ones? And part of me was like, no. I know. No. Joe made eggs last week. And I always save the blue and the green ones and the deep Moran's eggs. Uh-huh. He's like, oh, I just used all the different colors in my scrambled eggs. I'm oh, like, boy. no. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh my God. Look at this wooden egg tray. Is that on Etsy? What is that? <laughs> that's actually a Walmart.com. That's a Walmart.com. It's kind of mind boggling how many decorative egg holders there are out there. We found one that has a handle. It's actually shaped like a chicken and it has a handle so you can move it. It's a two-tier tray, wood, shaped like a chicken uh-huh. with a handle for $20 on Walmart.com. It's surprising how many of the wooden egg holders are two-tier. You can really maximize your egg holding with that. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're really wanting to hold a lot of eggs. I fill baskets in the blink of an eye in the spring. The only part that gets me with the baskets is it's hard to get to the ones on the bottom. Well, I forget. And then you forget. What I put in when, yeah. There are so many cute egg holders. And this is the way we like to go to display these eggs that these chickens have worked hard for. We've worked hard taking care of our chickens to get them. Just take pictures. There are tons of artisans making both ceramic and wooden egg trays. Yes. But you can also find vintage ones. Let's look up vintage. Let's see what we get. Now, a lot of these look like deviled egg the devil egg platters. And I put in vintage egg tray. So this might be more of a newer thing that's out now. I have found vintage deviled egg trays that could go both ways. And I've also found some of the ceramic ones that definitely are for displaying eggs rather than deviled eggs. Right. You just kind of have to look at the indentation itself and see which way the eggs fit in it best. I think any tray that holds deviled eggs will hold just regular eggs for you. Yeah, They're mostly circular, so it's going to take up more counter space. Right. But say you're having a party and you want to just display the eggs... They'll work. Oh, yeah. But deviled eggs are not going to work in ceramic egg Exactly, or the wooden ones, right. Because they have the groove where you go down. And and I feel like the contemporary holders, no matter what they're made out of, tend to maximize space more. They're much more economical space-wise to have sitting on the counter than, say, a big deviled egg plate. Yeah. Yeah. So if you have some cute ones, let us know what you have. We'd like to see the pictures. Yeah, like we said, the Pioneer Woman Ceramic and the Emma Bridgewater Wooden Trays are our favorites. They are our favorites. So should we tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next week? Next week, we are profiling the beautiful heritage breed Menorca. Oh, yes. We're talking to Tom and Ashley from Murray McMurray Hatchery. We're so excited. We love talking to them. That's a great interview. Cracking the Eggs is baked grits and greens with eggs. Mmm, sounds yummy. And Retail Therapy is vintage egg scales. Oh, it's one of my favorite things. So much fun. What should we tell everybody to do? Hug your chickens. Every day and kiss them too. Don't forget, we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening.